Hey everybody, it's Britt, lead pastor at Sunridge. Welcome or welcome back to the Sunridge Teaching Podcast. You know, we are on a mission here at Sunridge to help people find and follow Jesus. We believe in the good news that Jesus welcomes all regardless of how far you feel from God. That means that we're a great starting point to explore Christianity or to sink your spiritual roots deep as a devoted Jesus follower. We are gathering indoors right now, socially distanced and masked for now. We'd love to have you drop in. Just check our website, sunridgechurch.org, for the latest details on times and options. And now, here's our teaching for this week. We hope it leads you to encounter the way of Jesus more fully. Uh, If you don't know me, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, so if you're you're right here in our service, thanks for coming. And uh, you've already been set a little off kilter. If you're watching online, Maybe the camera can pan a little bit, although I do like it to stay on me as much as possible. Um, and, uh, and some of you are outside, and we're just, in, in whatever way you've gathered with us today, thank you for joining us. You know, our mission here at Sunridge is to help people find and follow Jesus. And we say that a lot here. We, we remind you that that's our mission. Uh, but honestly, I'm not sure if we really can fully grasp what that means. In fact, it, easily, that phrase could easily become cliche for us. And most of us uh, have yet to truly understand the, the impact of Jesus' invitation to follow him. As simple as it is, I sense that um, it can be misinterpreted so that we see it kind of like a two-step process. Number one, I find him. And now, step two, I follow him, which is partially true, but yet it could be misleading at the same time, because isn't it true that we're constantly finding Jesus? Are we not constantly rediscovering who Jesus is? The day that you became a Christian, me, 19, September 28, 1972. Were people even on the planet then, you know? And yet... My understanding of Jesus is so different, I'm sure, that today, and I'm sure that you can experience that. We are constantly rediscovering who Jesus is. And of course, following him, following him means so much more than being a good church member or an American or having morals, at least as long as they cooperate with our life or vote a certain way or drive an SUV with a church sticker on it. Following Jesus is a lot more than that. And so we're going to spend this summer rediscovering Jesus and his mission. And necessarily, because of that, what it means for you and I as individuals and as a church called Sunridge to find and follow him. You've already kind of seen some of the changes. And I know, excuse me, some of you introverts right now, you're just freaking out. And I just want to tell you, just don't freak out. It's you just be you. No one's going to make you say anything in the group. You can just sit there and chill and watch the other people answer. Nobody's going to twist your arm. And if you're an extrovert, I want you to just calm down right now because I know you're really excited, right? And all the introverts will appreciate it if you don't throw a big party this weekend to celebrate that we're going to all be talking to each other next week, okay? If we want different results, then we need different methods. Have you heard that phrase before? I'm sure you have. Uh, 
And so I know that some of you, when you came in, it kind of threw you off. And that's okay. I get, I get it. But it could be worth it, right? It could be worth it. In order to understand following Jesus, we need to know what it meant to him when he invited people into that and how people in his day interpreted that. You should know that in the first century, as Jesus walked the earth, he's, he's becoming known as this young and brilliant rabbi, a teacher. That's the Jewish word for teacher. He was fresh. I'm bringing back the 90s with that statement. And in the Gospels, that is the, the time of the first century, people who are talking with Jesus, conversing with him, would refer to him as rabbi, which means teacher. And it's that concept that frames our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make that clear, hopefully, as we go through our message today. I want you to see that Jesus invited a variety of people to follow him. Uh, but they were all different, but yet he uses virtually the same time, uh, virtually in every case, the same invitation. I'm going to put these verses up here as he approached some fishermen you might know. Uh, in Mark 1, 16, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And he said, come, follow me. And I will, make, I will send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. And then just a couple verses later in verse 19, when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. And without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Then Jesus approaches a tax collector. You might have heard his name, Matthew. Matthew 9, 9, Jesus went on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. And then a rich young person approaches Jesus, and he wants to find out what it means to have eternal life and to follow him. And in Matthew 19, 21, he answered him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. You guys are going to help me out here? Follow me. Okay, thank you. Last one, you're going to get one more chance. I want you to bring it really strong here. To a crowd in Jerusalem in John 12, 25, anyone who loves their life will lose it while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must you guys are awesome. And where I am, my servant will also be. So, like, does Jesus just have an elevator speech he's worked out, you know, whenever he's calling disciples, like, hey, this is my thing, you know, follow me. I can just roll that out really quickly. No, follow me is a way in that culture at that time. Jesus is inviting them to be part of his Talmudim. I'm going to explain that. There's a word I'm going to put up on the screen. This is in your notes. It's Talmud. Talmudim is the plural of that. And Talmud is the Hebrew word for disciple or follower. And I love the word apprentice. Can you say that word with me, Talmud? Talmud. It's just like saying disciple, only in, in Hebrew. An apprenticeship 
maybe because it doesn't have like all the religious connotations and kind of our framework, apprenticeship is the closest thing to understanding what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus at that time, because you were learning his way. So a little background so that we can capture this idea more fully. The idea of discipleship was not invented by Jesus. Uh, when we use it today, we often use it that way, like it's an exclusively Christian phrase. And in doing that, we are detaching it from its use in Jesus's day. Discipleship was a cultural model of training. It was a cultural model of training. See, Jesus wasn't the first one to have disciples or Talmudim. Um, they used this, this concept in education, in the trades, in philosophy. Plato was a disciple of Socrates. And all the rabbis of Jesus' day, the teachers in Judaism, they had disciples. They had Talmudim. And so for you to grasp that, I'm just going to keep clicking deeper and deeper here, and then we're going to come out, okay? Uh, you have to understand the first century uh, Hebrew educational model, and this is in your notes as well. I've given you the website. Uh, uh, one of the guys that I follow, Ray Vanderlaan, has, has just laid out such a great expose of this these three schools that uh, Hebrew children would attend. I'm going to explain them at the, at the fireman level. Uh, for all of you right now. Okay, so the first education that a Hebrew child would receive was called Bet Sefer. It, it means house of the book. Uh, this is like grade school to uh, a young Hebrew child, and they emphasize the study of the Torah, the first five books in your Old Testament. And most of the, the Talmudim that were... Are, are, students that were in Bet Sefer, they literally could memorize almost all of the Torah. And by age 12, they had Psalms completely memorized. This was their grade school experience. But once they finished Bet Sefer, most students were done. Uh, if you were a female, then you were probably around 13 or 14, and it was time to get married and have children. And if you were a male, you would probably apprentice in your father's business or in a trade that he did. But if you were exceptional, you would move on to level two, which is Bet Midrash. And Bet Midrash is the house of study or learning. And this Midrash would be a school built off of the side of the Jewish temple in your city or in your region. In some cases, they would actually use the synagogue when it wasn't being used, but typically they had this room, and the room is lined with books and parchments of the Old Testament. And remember how, I mean, like how rare these things are, books. We just take it for granted. We get them digitally. Some of you still like to touch them. Was, parchment and books were like super rare and expensive, so you were you were like just thrilled to sit in this room with all this information that was going to be available to you. And during your time in Midrash, you would study the entire Old Testament, and you would work at actually memorizing it. And every Midrash would have this resident rabbi that taught, that had the school. And uh, there are some 
exceptional ones that we find even in the Bible. They became more famous, uh, like the Apostle Paul. You've, you've heard, you, if you've read through your New Testament, you know that he references that he went to the school of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was, uh, you know, a famous rabbi in Jerusalem. And probably what happened when the Apostle Paul was only Saul and not a Christian, he was sent as a young boy to study in this midrash led by Gamaliel. To complete this part of your education would be quite a feat. And, and even then, like most of the exceptional young men would be done at this time. But the very elite students, the cream of the cream would move on to level three and they would become part of a Talmudin. And that's the plural of Talmud, as I mentioned. And this would be kind of a residency after your graduate school work, but way more than that. Uh, you know, if you could just take yourself back to that culture, if you were a male Hebrew, your biggest goal in life, the, the ultimate to you, would be able to be a rabbi yourself. It is the most respected role in Hebrew life. And every rabbi had their Talmudim, these followers, and your rabbiship that you would be associated with would be connected to the rabbi that led your school. To become a rabbi, you had to apply to these uh, top rabbis and, and ask them, could, could I become part of your Talmudim? And in the process, they would grill you and interview you. And if you had the gifts and the brains and the drive, he would say to you, come and follow me. This is what Jesus is doing when he's inviting his disciples to come and follow him. When we say disciple, we think of a Christian who's extra committed, right? Who reads their Bible, goes to church, they, they're, they're serious about their faith. But even our version doesn't totally capture what being a Talmud or a disciple of Jesus would have been and what he was actually inviting them into. A Talmud would be giving up his entire life, everything about him, all of his rights in order to be connected with this rabbi. And as a Talmud, you had three goals when you were in this training. Number one was to be with your rabbi. And number two was to be like your rabbi. And number three was to do what your rabbi did. I want to talk about those. Number one, to be with your rabbi. When you joined this rabbi school, became part of this small group of disciples of this particular rabbi, you spent all day with them, every day. You slept with them. You studied with them. You observed them. You served alongside them. There's a phrase that emerged from this practice, the dust of your rabbi. Anybody ever heard that? To be covered in the dust of your rabbi. It's both literal and metaphorical because you would be so close to this rabbi that you would never leave his side that you would, you would be covered in his dust, literally, because you were right up next to him all the time in this dry and arid land that they're walking in and traveling in and being a part of. But it's also metaphorical because it's saying that that dust represents you're being covered 
by all the training and the influence and the teachings and the philosophies and ideologies of this rabbi that you've connected yourself to. You are, and you, you feel blessed to be in this position. The Talmud followed their rabbi everywhere because they were so concerned that, if they, that they would miss a teachable moment. And as they watched the rabbi's every move, they would note how he acted, how he thought about different situations and how he responded. They trusted their rabbi completely and they worked passionately and tirelessly to incorporate the rabbi's actions and words into their life. And this is the first step that Jesus is inviting his followers into. I want you to see it in Mark 3.13. Remember, some of you have read this passage. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12 what? That they might be with him. See, they, they know what this is. They are signing up to be with this new young rabbi. It's why the disciples followed Jesus around, because that's their culture. That's what he was asking them to do. How does being with Jesus translate to today? Number one, the scriptures, immersing ourselves in scriptures. Jesus said that these testify of me. Specifically, the Gospels, the Sermon on the Mount, the summary statements of Jesus. Um, these are all ways in which we are with Jesus through his words and the stories about him found in the Gospels. Also, uh, maybe native to some of us, maybe foreign to others, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus uh, said that in John 16, 7, that it's, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, the Holy Spirit. But if I go, I will send him to you. And, you know, in other places, Jesus said, actually, having the Holy Spirit is far better than my presence. So we experience the presence of Jesus in our life through the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, through the people of God, we experience the presence of Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 20, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So when we gather together, even though we can't always quantify it, we are experiencing the presence of Jesus by us being together. So when we gather as a church on Sunday morning or where, wherever it might be, we're not just coming together to hear teachings, to sing some songs and eat some donuts. We are experiencing the presence of Christ. Goal number one as a Talmud was to be with your rabbi. Number two, to become like your rabbi. As a Talmud, you would do anything to be just like your rabbi. Your goal was to copy everything about them, not just their teachings, not just their doctrine. That's how we kind of think of education today. They wanted to adopt not just the way they thought and their doctrinal or theological positions, they wanted to acquire their mannerisms, the way they acted and responded, even their temperaments. And there's no equal to this in Western uh, thinking. You know? I tried to create some examples for this, like, um, uh, like being married for a really long time. Cindy and I will be married this September for 43 years. And like, now we can just complete each other's sentences. You know, in fact, since sometimes Cindy tells me what my sentences should be, 
you know, or, you know, helps me out with them later, you know. And she knows all of my jokes. Like, some of you are laughing at my joke. She's just rolling her eyes wherever she is in the building right now. She's like, a, a prophet is not honored in his own country. True saying by Jesus. <laughs> Another way to, but that doesn't fully capture it, right? Another way is like, how many of you speak a second language? Is your hand. Come on. We won't ask you. We won't test you. Okay, so like, I grew up in Miami, and I took Spanish for two years. Mi lapis es amarillo. Um, so... Uh, I just said my pencil's yellow, so like I got some heavy-duty Spanish going here. And, but I got reasonably good at speaking Spanish in Miami, playing baseball and, and such. I've since lost it all. But um, I always, in my second language, always thought in English first and then translated it. But when you're fluent, you just think in that language. It just becomes part of who you are. So that's, that's another example of what it could look like. You see, those, this is what their goal was, to think and act and just basically be a replica of this rabbi that was training them. And if, if you were familiar with different rabbi names or voices, when you met another rabbi, you would be able to connect who that rabbi came from, like who trained that rabbi, because they're exactly like him. That's what Paul meant when he said he wanted to be like Jesus. He wasn't just saying, I want to like, you know, be Christ-like. He was saying, I want to absorb everything about who Jesus is and who I am becoming. And then in Acts 4, when um, Sanhedrin is calling Peter and John before them, and, they, and, they, and it says that they noted that they had, these guys had been with Jesus. You know what they were saying? Not like, oh yeah, they were wearing a Christian fish on their uh, toga or whatever. They, they were saying, like, they're acting just like him. And so we know that they've been training with that young rabbi named Jesus. And that's what Jesus meant in Luke 640 when he said, the student is not above the teacher, but everyone is fully trained will be like their teacher. See, today, that's so countercultural. Like today, that we say, be you, be yourself, be, be what no one else is. And yet then, the cultural model for a young Hebrew male was to be totally absorbed in being just like their rabbi. It wasn't an identity theft it was an identity gift because your rabbi would train you to be just like him and that's what you wanted most in your life. So the main goal of being with your rabbi is transformation. You wanted to look and act like them. This series that we're launching today called Formed, I think you're getting it, right? Because all of us, whether you're religious or not, Christian or not, we're all being formed constantly by our culture, by our teachers, by our pastors every once in a while, by our family, by our parents, by our friends. We're constantly being formed into who we're becoming and the question isn't whether we're being formed or not. It's, it's a matter of by whom we're being formed. 
Dallas Willard put it this way, spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship. This is what it means to be like Jesus. Is that, like, is that making a difference in what, what you understood before when you said things like, I want to be like Jesus? It's like at a whole other level. And in order to follow Jesus, that is going to require utter transformation. And for most of us, it's going to take a really long time. And if we really want it to go in the direction we want, we're going to have to be very, very intentional about it for a lifetime. You see, as followers of Jesus, the goal isn't just to act more loving toward others but to actually be more loving. It's not just to give my money to my church as a good member, but it's actually to become generous of spirit, generous of everything about our lives. And it's not just to put my time in, but to be someone who has a true servant's heart and looks for ways to make a difference in the world as God opens up doors. And the practices that we're going to work on this summer can lead to this kind of transformation at the heart level. The last goal as a Talmud is to do what your rabbi did. See, it wasn't enough just to like know what your rabbi knew and to even, you know, like kind of take on some of his traits The goal of the Talmud was to do the things that their rabbi did. You ever wonder why Peter tried to walk on the water? I mean, was he just trying to like, you know, tweak the other disciples? Was he just wanting to catch some waves? That part I would understand. No, his rabbi was walking on the water, and as crazy as that seemed, He wanted to do the things that Jesus did. When Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John 13, 14, when he gets done, he says this, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. You seeing that? Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, they completely understood this. He's not bringing some radical concept to them. He's saying, you're walking with me as your rabbi, and these are the things that I do. And you will be blessed if you do these things. I love how N.T. Wright puts this in his book, Following Jesus. The longer you look at Jesus, the more you will want to serve him in his world. That is, of course, if it's the real Jesus that you're looking at. Plenty of people in the church and outside it have made up a Jesus for themselves and have found that this invented character makes few real demands on them. He makes them feel happy from time to time, but doesn't challenge them doesn't suggest that they get up 
and do something about the plight of the world, which is, of course, what the real Jesus had an uncomfortable habit of doing. What does it look like for us to do what Jesus did in today, in Temecula Valley, if this is your home? Not, not becoming a pastor or a rabbi, but what does it look like if you're a teacher or you work at a car dealership or you're a police officer or you're a carpenter? Or you're retired. Or you're a counselor. You're an administrator. What does it look like for you and I to do what Jesus did in our world, in the world in which we live? That's, that's what we're talking about. Guys, when you were in college, you remember you took courses that you had to have a, there was a lab with it? Like, oh, that's why there's five units in that class. The Jesus course, it comes with a lab. We do Christianity with our bodies and our brains. A couple of thoughts to close. Number one, the invitation, to follow, the invitation is to follow Jesus, not be a Christian. You see, Jesus never pursued converts. He looked for disciples. And let, let me just be square with you. The world doesn't need any more Christians. The world needs Jesus followers. You know, like that phrase Christian is negative in the Bible, right? It's like it's only used three times and it's never like, you know, it's like that's what they called us. The Bible references a few times. Christians only use three times and it's always negative, but in contrast, the word disciple is used 268 times in your New Testament, and it's always to describe the followers of Jesus. The Barna Group did a study uh, two years ago, and they found that in America, 76% of people say that they're Christian. And only 8% are actual disciples. Now, just so you explain, so you know, like... If you look this study up, the criteria isn't crazy stuff. It's like they go to church regularly, they give, they serve somehow, they, they have this orientation in their life. It's not like top shelf crazy Christian stuff. It's like basic Christianity, 8%. That is a completely alien idea in Jesus' day. Because he, wa because he wasn't trying to gather converts. He was inviting people to follow him. And when I say that, this isn't me, a pastor who's lost touch with reality of what it's like to live in the real world. I don't know if I've told you guys before, but I had another job before this job. Can, do you remember what it was? Yeah, did some of you say hero? I thought you said hero, but um, I'm just kidding. 
kind of I am, but um, <laughs> it's not me telling you, boy, I'm a pastor and I got it all together and you guys should get cracking and be like me. That's not what I'm saying at all because this is a very real struggle for me in my world, even as a pastor. What I'm saying for all of us together is that this is what Jesus is actually inviting us into when he says, come and follow me. And, and by the way, wherever you are in that process, you're totally welcome here. If you're not ready to like grab, get, grab a hold of that, if you're going like, whoa, I'm not sure, like, like you're really thinking. So this isn't top coming down, shouting. We're all in this trying to wrestle with what this means to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do what he did in our world today. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and I have a second wrap-up thought while they do, and it's this, that the, that the invitation to follow Jesus is open to anybody. You know, um, there's something very normal and yet something very unusual about this invitation that Jesus makes. I mean, number one, the normal part is to be invited into following him as a rabbi. That is culturally typical. That's nothing, you know, out of the ordinary. What, what is out of the ordinary is who Jesus invites to be with him. It's because it's a really unusual cast of characters. It's prostitutes and opportunists and sinners and uncouth blue-collar fishermen. And it's the elite, Pharisees. And to all of them, he says, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever, you can be his disciple. I can be his disciple. Jesus is inviting doubters and people that feel like they're hardcore, ready to go. He's inviting you if you're like, if you're, like you're not sure. He's, he's inviting you if like yesterday, the way your life went, you think there's no way Jesus wants me on his team. He's inviting you. He's saying, whoever wants to be my disciple can do this. And we, in order to do so, I think we have to ask ourselves three simple questions. Number one, do we believe that the way of Jesus is the best way to live? Do we believe the promise or what Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life and to give it to the full? Do we, be, do we really believe that? The second question is, do I want that? If I, I could believe it, but like, I'm not really sure I want that. Do I want this life? And the question, question number three is, am I willing to do some things differently in order to see that happen? That's our context right now because we're going to do some things differently for the summer. And um, it's all going to be okay. You know... Um, when, when, when's the last time you took a trip and you had a destination? 
Some of you are going crazy. I'm seeing social media. You guys are going, you've been saving up vacations and going everywhere. But like the last time you took a trip, you had a destination, right? How many modes of transportation did you go through to get there? Um, just a couple weeks ago, my family went to Michigan. And we got up in the morning and we got in my truck and we drove to the airport. And we walked in the terminal and we got on an airplane. And we flew to um, a city, and then we got on another airplane. Plane. Well, in between that, we actually walked to the next uh, gate, and we took that manway thing, which speeds up, speeds you up, unless the people that are totally unaware of what's going on in the world around them are standing in your way, not moving. You know, you walk on the right, you leave the left open. That's just, that's, that was free. <laughs> And then we flew to our destination city, and then we rented a car. And then we got in that car, and we drove to our ultimate destination. So our destination never changed, but our mode of transportation did. We're going to change our mode of transportation next Sunday. And it's going to involve sitting differently. It's going to involve multiple voices up here. And it's going to involve asking some simple questions. You know, so if you just look around at the people right now that are near you, next week, you're going to be talking about the top five sins of your week with one another. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to happen. <laughs> be in my group, because I really want to hear those. And um, that's, that's, we're going to change our transportation mode for the summer. And Sunridge has a history of doing that. You know, we do things different in the summer. We've had all kinds of fun, and we're going to do that this summer. Will you, will you consider being a part of that, even if it's making you uncomfortable? Like, will you just, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm too scared to ask you if you're in. I'll just know next week whether you show up or not, but, you know, just consider it because Christians grow together. We don't grow in isolation. And the pandemic has wiped us out and, and made us so disconnected and isolated. And we, we want to remedy that as fast as we can. And we want to learn these things and practice them in a way that all of us grow together. That's the challenge. If you're not religious, if this sounds like way out of control, like just check it out. Just try it. Because one of the things you're going to get that's much better than listening to me over and over again is that you're going, to, you're going to get to hear from other people that are processing the same truths and they're processing it from different places. And that, that is really going to help you understand Christianity at another level. And it's going to be okay for you to say in your group, I'm, I'm not buying all this yet, I have questions. And like I said, it's going to be fine if you just sit there quietly. So, will you consider it and pray about it? That's what I'm asking you to do. If you'll do that, would you stand and worship with us? Hey, everybody, it's Britt again. Thanks for listening. If you need help with something, if you have a question, or you'd just like us to pray for you, you can reach us through email, info at sunridgechurch.org. Or if you'd like to know more about us, just go to our website, sunridgechurch.org, and you'll know what to do from there. We hope you'll listen in again next week, but in the meantime, wherever you go, deepen faith, bring hope, and live love.